Newborn screening identifies conditions that can affect a child's long-term health or survival. Early detection, diagnosis, and intervention can prevent death or disability and enable children to reach their full potential. I'm Dr. Tara Zanfleet, a pediatrician who performs newborn screening tests, and this is Parent Savers, Episode 43. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I am your fill-in guest host, Sunny Galt. I'm also the host of our sister show, Preggy Pals, which is focused on pregnancy and those hoping to become pregnant. Are you a member of the Parent Savers Club? Our club gives you access to all of our episodes, plus free bonus content after every new show, and giveaways and discounts. You can sign up on our website, parentsavers.com, and that's also where you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, which puts you in a drawing each month for a free membership to our club. I am a new parent. I have two sons, Sayer, who is two and a half, and Urban, who is 10 months old. And I'm joined here in the studio by one other new mommy. I'm going to call you a new mommy because you're still kind of a new mommy. Um, Hillary. So, Hillary, tell us about yourself. My name is Hillary Gardner. I am a self-employed children, baby, newborn photographer, Stills by Hill Photography. I am 30 years old, and I have a four-year-old little girl named Liliana who thinks she's 20. (laughs) It's so funny when I see your Facebook post. I'm like, oh, she has her hands full. No joke. She's such a cutie, but oh my goodness. No joke. All right, here is a headline that is making rounds around the internet, and I just could not believe it when I read this. Okay, get this. There is Dolce & Gabbana, which I'm sure you guys are very familiar with, right? They have a new perfume coming out for babies. It is designed for babies. It is a new citrus, melon, and honey fragrance. And it's supposed to be sold for 28 euros, which I have not done the math. It's probably ridiculously expensive. It isn't like twice as much in euros or whatever. Um, And, you know, again, it's focused on babies, like one-year-olds. I'm just wondering what your guys' thoughts are on that. Do babies need perfume? Doesn't everybody love the, like, new baby (laughs) smell, baby smell? My first question when I hear that is, what is in it? Why does a baby need that? Because it's sprayed and it's going to be into their skin. It says the perfume will be unisex. It won't contain alcohol, so it's not supposed to irritate the baby's skin. And um, 50 milliliter bottles is what it's going to be sold in. I'm going to say negatory. I'd say (laughs) negatory on that, too. I just worry, you know, kids are are sensory sponges. I mean, they're supposed to be smelling flowers at this age. They're supposed Mm -hmm. to be smelling dirt, uh, you know, the the world after a rain. Um, All these things go into their brain and they help, you know, make the brain develop better. I don't know what the brain will develop on, you know, with perfume. That's a really uh, you know good what point. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I just think it's nuts. <laughs> so I thought it was crazy too, but then consider this. Now, if you use fragrance-free stuff on, on your kids, and this may not apply to you, but I have baby lotions that are scented like special nighttime stuff that's supposed to make them sleep better and blah, blah, blah. And that has a fragrance in it. So is it so weird if we're already putting fragrances on our babies? But see, if you're using a lotion, you're using that for their skin. So there's an added benefit. But if you're just putting a perfume on them for the heck of it, why? Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, spray it around their diaper pail. (laughs) (laughs) We don't 
don't need to spray that. I don't know. I don't. I buy everything. Yeah. That's fragrance free. Any additives. I'm like. Right. So this, I'd be like, oh, heck no. I'd probably post it on <laughs> Facebook and be like, what are they thinking? Actually, I did. I did. I posted this on the Parent Savers um, page. So you guys should go comment on it. All of our listeners should go comment on it and give us your thoughts because it is coming to market. Okay, today on Parent Savers, we have Dr. Tara Zanfleet, and she is a pediatrician right here in San Diego. So welcome to the show. I'm going to call you you Dr. Z because I like that. That's what I like. Dr. Z. Okay, we are talking about newborn screening tests today. Let's just dive into this. So what are newborn screenings and what are we trying to accomplish here? Well, the newborn screening is a blood test that we do on babies within the first week of life. And uh, what we're trying to do is find these really rare, really devastating diseases early so we can actually intervene and prevent some of the horrible complications like mental retardation, seizures, and death. You know, these are diseases that within one month of life, before you even see the pediatrician in the office for their two-month visit, your baby could already be you know, seriously mentally retarded or have seizures. Most of the time with these diseases, they would come to the intensive care unit at about two weeks of life, and it was already too late to do anything. So we're trying to find it within the first week of life, really, to intervene. And a lot of these diseases, the food is the problem, and the food is breast milk. Uh And so we need to find those babies that can't drink breast milk. Oh, poor wow. babies. I know, it's awful. <laughs> I have friends who have gone through this and have had to, their dream was to breastfeed. Yeah. And yeah. they then their baby has all these problems and they have to spend ridiculous amounts of money every month on specialized Special formula. formula. Right. And it breaks my heart. But Oh my goodness. Okay. Their heart too. So if we can find these diseases earlier, we can treat them earlier and therefore they can overall be healthier. That's the exactly. idea. Exactly. They had an actual case. Okay. Like, two kids in 2003 in California. And weirdly, they had the same name, but uh, first name anyway. And one was born in a hospital that was doing screens. One was born in a hospital that was not. The The reason was it was an experimental part of, you know, they were trying to figure out if they should add it in. Mm-hmm. The one who was found within the week changed diets and is perfectly fine today. The other one wasn't found until about a month later, uh-huh. pediatrician picked up. And these are hard for pediatricians to pick up. These are not normal diseases. Yeah. We get tested on them like every seven years just to remind us they are out there. Right. And if you're lucky, you'll see one in your career. Okay. You know, so he picked it up, but the mental retardation was already there and he was already crippled. He can't walk. Oh, no. Yeah, one month old. And they couldn't do anything. You know, now it won't progress. He won't die. Yeah. But so that's an example right there of the intervention, changing the diet. Within a week of life, normal kid, not as normal kid. Right. Yeah. Now, are these things that we can't test for, like, prenatally? You know, because that's a whole other separate oh, set yeah. of tests and everything, yeah. obviously. You can get a genetic test for most of these as a mother, okay. pregnant mom, or even a, a going-to-be pregnant mom. Uh-huh. Any woman who wants to, any man who wants to, can get a genetic test. They can run expensive. Um, they okay. can run for one of the basic prenatal screenings. Uh, 350 for a full extensive over a thousand dollars but you can and you can find if you're a carrier that only tells if you are almost all these diseases are recessive which means dad's got a contributed gene and mom's got a contributed gene okay and so you can tell if i guess both of you mom and dad could both get tested Uh and if you guys both tested clear there's really not much of a reason there are a couple of diseases that are not genetic and so you know the screening 
would be good for that. Right. But other than that, yeah, you can get a test as a parent. Okay. And who determines what goes on this list? <laughs> there is a panel okay. of, and I believe there are doctors, um, public health specialists, masters of public health, and many of them are dual. So they're masters of public health and they're physicians. Um, and they kind of go through. And the interesting thing, it's a, I'm not sure exactly what the name of the panel is in California, but they actually have criteria. There are four criteria that they go for. Um, the disease has to be severe, mm-hmm. right? Um, the disease has to um, be easily identifiable with a test that is reliable. Okay. It's got to have an intervention that will make a difference. Because why test it just to know? Right, there's right, no right. point of that, right? Right. So you've got to have an intervention like diet or a medication that will make a difference. And then you've got to know the natural course of the disease. Because if you don't know what the disease does, why test for it? Right. If you know it causes death, that's a good reason to test for it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. And then how often do they change up these lists? Oh, God. Sometimes yearly. <laughs> really? They keep you guys on your toes. Yeah, I know. So, totally. Um, they have a core group. The, there are, well, the first one was PKU. Um, yes, phenylketonuria. That was the very first one. You know on the, every diet soda can you ever see? Mm-hmm. It says phenylketonurics. This product contains phenylalanine. Okay, that's why they're, test, they're telling you is because these, these kids cannot drink any diet sodas. No NutraSweet whatsoever. Oh, okay. Because um, it has that amino acid in it. Okay. Um, but that's been on there since the early 60s. That was the first one. Then in the uh, 70s, they add in a few others. 80s, a a couple more. 1995 to 2000, a lot of them got put in because they invented a new way to test things. So they put in a whole bunch. And um, gosh, I think last year they added an infection, toxoplasmosis, and um, makes makes the pediatrician's life a lot easier because I remember, you know, in the hospital, when a baby was born, that first day, we're looking for all that. We're looking for toxo. This is the one where, this is why pregnant ladies are not allowed to change the kitty litter. Okay. That's toxoplasma. Okay. And we used to have to do all sorts of physical exams and stuff for the kids looking, and now you just do the test. It makes it a lot easier to not to miss it. How accurate is the testing, the results? Because I've heard situations in form like, pregnancy testing for instance where someone's told their child has downs or whatever and they're like let down and then mm-hmm. the baby comes in they do a test again and the baby's fine mm-hmm. and it, so I had that happen to me so you know <laughs> yeah so how how accurate are the tests yeah. you know it's a screening test okay so it is not the definitive test for the disease mm-hmm. so if these tests are positive you always get the real test for the disease Unfortunately, that means real blood out of the arm instead of a heel stick, but um, it's worth it because there are false positives. They are looking for, you know, how your body, how the baby's body uses the food, how it breaks down the food, how it breaks down vitamins and uses vitamins. That's kind of what they're, they're just screening for things. And um, so if someone's is, is positive, then you do the, it, the more definitive test. They have probably... You know, I don't even know really the percentages that are wrong. Um, I'd say there are more false negatives. So there are more tests that look normal mm-hmm. that then there's a problem later. Luckily, they're usually mild. But it's something that, that's not one of the really bad ones. But 
that's why you go to the pediatrician. <laughs> right. Because we'll catch it if the screen ca- uh, missed it. But there are some false positives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, not many, but there are. Yeah. Okay. Is every newborn screened? Is it a requirement? Can parents opt out of this? It's a requirement, but yes, you can opt out for, quote, religious reasons. Okay. I go broadly on that. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> philosophical objections. <laughs> and um, you, you have to sign a form. So usually the person who's drawing the, um, the blood, doing the heel stick, will make you sign a form that says you are refusing. And if the child dies mm-hmm. because of one of these diseases that could have been caught, it's your fault and wow. not the state's fault for not forcing you. Okay. Right? Um, but, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people who object for many different reasons, um, and they're, no, they're not screened. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you have to give birth in a hospital no. to get these, because, Hillary, I know that your experience was a little bit different. Not I gave hospital. birth at um, Best Start, which is a local birth center, and was questioning every single little <laughs> intervention or any single <laughs> thing that my daughter was going to have to go through. So right. we did make our choices on what we wanted to do, what we did not want to do, what we wanted to opt out of, what we said absolutely no to. And I did question the screening um, for mm-hmm. quite a few reasons. And then my husband said, just do it. It's just a little tiny prick. Uh, you're not injecting yeah. anything. Right, right. You said you're not <laughs> right. injecting anything. So, um yeah, so they the midwife came to my house a few days later and did the little prick and then called just a few days later and said everything was good, and we moved on. Okay. No, so that leads me into the next question. How are these tests performed? It's just a heel prick? It's a heel prick. Basically, okay. what they do is they'll put usually, well, I personally prefer to numb it up. Okay. You use a little Emla cream, or I like using little freezy spray or, or ice cube, okay. you know, kind of make it a little numb, although ice cube can be a problem because then they don't have a lot of blood. Um, <laughs> You're freezing the you blood. Know, generally, I'll try and use like a little anesthetic cream and then um, put a heating pad on. Okay. And then the worst part for the baby, I mean, other than the poke, because nobody likes being poked, the worst part is having your foot held and squeezed. So they don't like the squeezy thing. Mm -hmm. I usually have them breastfeed, you Mm. know. Just go ahead and have them breastfeed and make sure they're hungry, you know. Have them breastfeed, and then I hold their uh, foot and poke the heel. And then I have to keep pressing this little paper, cardboard kind of thing, um, where I have to fill up five little, four little holes, five little not holes, squ- uh, circles right, right. on the paper, and I have to completely fill them with little drops of blood. Right. And um, it's interesting because it is a puncture poke, Okay. and so the the scab lasts forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, moms will come in, it's been three weeks, the scab has not come off yet. I'm like, I know, because it heals from the the inside out. It has to push the scab out, and so it's it's healing slowly. But um, well, you had a great thing. You used, um, yeah. We just dropped breast milk yep. on any little scab, anything. that Which I'm just learning you can do this yes, topically. Yes, breast milk is, it is liquid awesome. gold. It is. It is. It Amazing. Really is. Used it for yep. everything. It works And even when I stopped nursing, I had to call friends and ask for <laughs> breast milk because my daughter got a cut or something. <laughs> okay, so about, about the scab and all that stuff. Yes. So my two-and-a-half-year-old, believe it or not, still has not the scab anymore but it well it's a red dot like it just happened yesterday and it is on his heel and he is two and a half years old i've never checked to see if my daughter still i've never oh, paid attention oh urban my, my second he has nothing yeah. Oh, really? No, but Sayer has, and he will probably always have this. And it makes me mad every time I But you know what it is? It's a tattoo. <laughs> 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 it's 
essentially when they poked, yeah, they probably broke open one of the little blood cells. And oh. hemoglobin is traditionally one of the, you know, blood is one of the ways that they used to tattoo way in the early primitive days. Uh-huh. So he probably got a teeny tiny dot tattoo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I was like looking at him like, that can't be what I think it is. It but is. It, yeah. It never it went is. away. Oh, yeah. how funny. I know. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about the main conditions that the newborn screening tests are testing for. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking about newborn screening tests today. Dr. Tara Zanfleet is our our expert today, our expert pediatrician. And in the first part, we were talking about screening tests, what they are, why you need them, what's involved. So now we're going to dive into these conditions that we're testing for. Because I think it's important for us as parents to know, okay, if we do these tests, what, what are we looking for? And I know a lot of these are few and far between that your kid will get this, but it is possible that we wouldn't be testing for them, right? Right. So let's go through these. I'm going to let you take the lead on this a little bit. Sounds good. First, in terms of rarity, um, I looked up the statistics for California, and since 1980, so what, 30-some years, Mm -hmm. right, they've diagnosed about 10,000 of these kids. And so there are 10,000 kids in California alone that are better off um, in terms of their diseases. They were found early. These are not false positives. These are kids who have the disease who now have had an intervention and are doing better. It's about one out of every 4,000 kids okay. born will have something. Okay. Um, so it's, pretty again, pretty rare. Right, right. The diseases are kind of broken up. The way I think of things is, is I try to categorize. So the biggest one, I think, there's endocrine, which is like hormones, mm-hmm. metabolic, which is um, how your body uses food, you know, uh, hemoglobin, which is your blood, your anemias, okay, and then some random genetic things like cystic fibrosis. And then now they're starting to do infections like toxoplasmosis. So I kind of think of them in those five categories. Okay. So, you know, endocrine-wise, everyone's heard of low thyroid, right? Mm-hmm. We'd love to blame it for why we can't lose those last 10 pounds <laughs> after the birth. And, you know, babies can be born without a thyroid. And really? often, Yes. And often if a mom has high thyroid, especially while pregnant, the baby turns off their thyroid and the baby can be low thyroid and so it's uh, about one out of every 2,000 babies born um, and they grow really really slowly they're short they're heavy and the biggest danger is they are mentally retarded the is that related to I'm sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. is that yeah. related to gestational diabetes at no, all not no not at all not at all zero okay mm-hmm. yay <laughs> right, <laughs> and there's and there's no real blame in, in any right. of these diseases. Right. By the way, there's nothing you can do in pregnancy to prevent them. Okay. There's nothing okay. you can eat. There's no supplement you can have that will prevent these. You know, if your baby's going to be born without a thyroid, yeah, it's born it without just a thyroid is what it is. So right? if is the baby's born without a thyroid, like now one of my cousins mm-hmm. had to have her thyroid removed, so she yes. has to be on medicine for the rest of her rest life. Of her life. So is that right. the baby's going to have to be on medicine for the rest of their life? Yes. Holy bananas! Yeah, yeah. I know. Wow. I know. But with the medicine, you're just replacing the hormone they don't have. Yeah, you just take a a pill, the kids will crush it and stick it in a liquid. Um, They do really well with it and they they can have normal intelligence. They can actually do extremely well. We've got quite a few that are, you know, physicists and wow. you know, yeah amazing so it literally can just replace literally it. replace it the other endocrine one big endocrine one is called congenital adrenal hyperplasia and it's basically when the there's too much testosterone around essentially there's a block in the whole hormone cascade and so instead of making a balance of estrogen and testosterone you just make testosterone and so girl babies get teeny tiny penises and it's really uh traumatic to them wow. <laughs> 
That you can't prevent because you can't diagnose it in pregnancy generally. Um, maybe if you had you know chorionic villi sampling, but pretty much you don't know till they're born. And then you're like, what the heck? Um, it's very traumatic. But the, one of the big keys of it is you can, there's a subset of kids that, girls, that do not keep salt in their body. And so they have seizures and they can die very quickly. So usually by eight days of life, they die. And so, I mean, if it's the full on, there are partials where you can have two or three or four months old and they're just not doing well, but um, they can die within eight days of life. And you completely, completely fine uh, with the salt stuff if you give them, actually weird, a steroid. Hmm. So they're on steroids the rest of their life. But it's <laughs> it's a different type. It's not that kind of steroid. But, right. um, so that one is important. Um, metabolic diseases, the other big category. There are hundreds of bizarre diseases. You know, like biotinidase deficiency is vitamin B. You know, your B vitamins are B complex. Right. What if you couldn't use that? What if you can't use your vitamin B? What happens to your body? You feel like you know, dirt, basically, but you you get hearing loss, um, you become with vision problems, you don't have depth perception, things like that, um, and they can die eventually, although usually not. They just are very slow, and they don't. They just don't do well. Diarrhea, and mm. they don't gain weight. So that's one. Um, there are a bunch like that where you can't use vitamins. Um, the most traditional one is called the phenylketonuria, which is, you know, don't drink Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but the thing we don't realize is like, well, so they have PKU. I just won't give them any NutraSweet, <laughs> except that there's phenylalanine in breast milk. Oh, so the babies oh, cannot so drink breast milk. And so, and again, they can die from not being able to, you know, metabolize that. And so you've got to catch them within one month. Within a month, get them off breast milk, get them off all milk. And they've got to have a really special, expensive, of course, uh, formula for them. Mm -hmm. And they do fine, beautiful, intelligent kids, normal, if they can have the right diet. Mm -hmm. And that's why, of course, they have the warnings on the, on the cans. Right. Um, another one is galactosemia. Galactose is one of the sugars in milk. And they have to break it down into um, the basic sugars, you know, glucose and, and fructose and stuff. And they can't do that. So they end up with major diarrhea because they can't absorb it. And again, they cannot have milk. And most of them will die by one month. Another one that I love, just love the name, maple syrup urine disease. Yes, indeed. The <laughs> urine smells like maple syrup. It could it's smell like worse stuff, Vermont. really. You know? Yeah, I mean, really, it, it could. It could. So. It could. <laughs> like Actually, asparagus pee. <laughs> well, no, there's, I know, right? <laughs> there's also a sweaty sock urine disease. No, They aw. never mentioned that one, but it smells like sweaty socks. Literally. Who names urine stuff. I know. It's very technical. I know. Right? <laughs> this is a real medical. You went to college for this. Thing this right. is what I would That's name right. things. Hundred thousand totally dollars of right. student debt to learn, this. <laughs> to learn this. But yeah, it smells like Vermont in your baby's diaper. It's just you know, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, they they get uh, seizures, mental retardation, death again. Um, there's another one that's uh, splitting fat, um, medium chain, acyl CoA dehydrogenase deficiency (MCAD). Um, yeah, they just can't break down any fat, which of course fat is in breast milk. Oh, you know, yeah. yeah. So these are this is why it's these are important is because their basic food for life is killing them. Another one is hemoglobin, so that's uh, anemias. These kids actually have a gene where their hemoglobin's not normal. So have you ever heard of sickle cell disease, yeah. sickle cell anemia? So there are many other ones. There's beta thalassemia, alpha thalassemia, hemoglobin H. Um, there's a whole bunch of different genetic you know, 
defects that, that basically make their hemoglobin do weird things. And they don't make little nice little round red blood cells that go through our blood vessels really cool. They look all weird and they get caught in okay. the blood vessels and they actually can cause strokes. They can cause kidney failure, heart failure. A lot of those babies, by the time they're about two or three months old, need a blood transfusion because their blood is really, you know, just going to town the first couple of months. And so a lot of times we have to do that. And then um, we just have to monitor them. We have to know who they are so that we can do a little poke and check and make sure they're not too anemic. Because again, I mean, they can have strokes, they can have heart attacks. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of damage that can be done there. And then genetic, other genetic tests, cystic fibrosis. Um, People always think of cystic fibrosis as the lung, Mm -hmm. right? It's like bad asthma with horrible phlegm, and then they get all these infections and pneumonias, and they eventually die of pneumonia, usually by the time they're 20-something. But one of the weird things is the first thing you notice is digestion because they don't digest well. They don't have all the enzymes, all the secretions are really thick, and blocks them up. So they get intestinal blockages, they get uh, diarrhea, they can't absorb protein, and then now they're just starting to do um, testing for infections like toxoplasma, the, you know, don't clean out your cat kitty litter, Um, (laughs) don't eat raw meat um, (laughs) thing. Yeah, that infection which can cause cysts in the brain, um, seizures, mental retardation, um, rashes, horrible rashes, blindness, um, all sorts of things like that. So, How quickly do parents get the results, you know, if, if something comes back abnormal? How quickly would we know? There's the key. <laughs> if they're normal, it may be months before you get the results because <laughs> that's not their priority. Oh, okay. You know? Okay. Um, the pediatrician can usually log on and get the results. Um, we get them pretty fast. The hospitals, if you're born in a hospital or birth center, they get the results pretty fast. Week, a usually week? by a week. Okay. Two weeks maybe. Um, parents get them pretty much a couple months later, and you're like, what is it? I don't even remember what that test was. Okay. But um, if it's positive, some of the state workers, the people who are, you know, monitoring this, they literally go and find you. (laughs) Um, They'll call the pediatrician. They'll call the hospital. They go and call you on the phone. If your phone number is disconnected, they will come out to your house. If you have moved, they will go and look on every, you know, online every they really desperately try and find the mm. baby yeah and they're really good at finding them and especially because they know within days so if you have it done on day three of life by day six or seven of life they've got the result and so it's unlikely you've moved um mm. so you almost always they can find you okay yeah. so it's that quick but it needs yeah, to be very, because again to be. breast milk has I mean, to be probably yeah. already you know feeding your kid what would you say to parents how can they better prepare themselves for these screening tests or is there any advice that you would give them someone that's kind of on the fence that doesn't really know what they want to do yet? i guess the biggest you know there's you know, the controversy um mm-hmm. always is uh, well, a couple fold but the big one most parents are i don't want my baby poked if you're breastfeeding while they do it most of that pain is mitigated so um, it's been shown that breastfeeding is a, a huge pain reliever for babies. Um, so if you do that, that's, you know, at least you can do that. And um, then you don't have to worry about a lot of these diseases. You know, if you don't get it done, again, we will know at some point that your child is sick. I mean, it's going to become pretty obvious. It may take a while and a lot of expense and a lot of um, hassle trying to figure it out because these are really rare and I remember before we had the screening test, I mean, we'd get these kids in the ICU. They just had a seizure. They're on life support for a little while. And we're sitting there going, what the heck? You know, yes, if you don't get the screening test, 
you can definitely find out that your child has a problem. It, it's not like we will miss it, but it may be too late at that point to reverse some of the mental damage or some of the, the problems. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Z, for sharing all this information with us today. To learn more about Dr. Zanfleet, our panelists, and to learn more about the different resources that you can get for more information, you can visit our website, parentsavers.com. Our conversation will continue after the show for our Parent Savers Club members. We'll be discussing a little bit more about what happens if you choose to decline newborn screening tests. Before we wrap up today's episode, here's Amy Sorter with some environmentally friendly parenting tips. Hello, Parent Savers. I'm Amy Sorter, ecopreneur and co-founder of EcoSavvyMoms.com, where you can find information for your family on going green, saving money, and looking great doing it. Today, we're going to talk about ways you can clean your home the natural way and stop using harmful, toxic chemical cleaners. You know, as soon as I became pregnant, I realized how important it was to detox and green my home, cleaning supplies, not only for myself, but for my baby and my growing family. It was so important to me, and I really didn't want any of those harmful chemicals coming in contact with my precious little ones. Most people have a different chemical cleaner for just about every household surface they clean. However, many of the chemicals found in these cleaners are known carcinogens and linked to lung disease and other serious illnesses, some scary stuff. Now, a few rules you should follow in general when buying cleaners are to get rid of all cleaners that contain chlorine bleach. Chloride bleach is very strongly corrosive. Its fumes alone can irritate or burn skin, eyes, and lungs. Use ammonia-free glass cleaners. Its fumes are also highly irritating. Ammonia can cause severe eye irritation, headaches, and lung damage especially damaging for little children as well. Use formaldehyde-free cleaners. Formaldehyde is also a known carcinogen. Also use biodegradable soaps and detergents and use only phosphate-free cleaners. In addition, you may not know there's a few common household items that are great natural cleaners, and a few of them I use all the time and I always have them on standby. Baking soda, I love it. It scours, it neutralizes odors, and it deep cleans. Not only does it work on almost everything, it's dirt cheap. With a little water added, you can scour sinks, tiles, and counters with it. Sprinkle it on carpets to absorb odors and then vacuum them away. Keep a box in the fridge and freezer to absorb odors. Vinegar, just honestly plain old undiluted white vinegar works better than most overpriced glass cleaners. It is a lifesaver. But it's also good for dissolving buildup from hard water, eliminating soap scum, and even removes the tarnish on copper and brass. Now, if you have a clogged up drain, what I like to do is pour it down the drain and then use my old friend baking soda to help unclog a shower or sink drains. The acidity of the vinegar causes a chemical reaction with the alkaline baking soda. And my last little favorite item to use around the house is orange oil. The oil extracted from the peel of an orange is a natural disinfectant, stain remover, room deodorizer, and surface cleaner. It's available in concentrated bottles and a little really does go a long way. Add a teaspoon to a large bucket of hot water and you have a great all-purpose cleaner. Use straight on tough laundry stains. Now, check to ensure the fabric is color fast, of course, like with any product, and you'll find that the orange oil works better than just about any other expensive stain remover on the market. You can also spray it on a damp cloth to disinfect counters and other surfaces, or add a teaspoon to your toilet bowl before scrubbing. I know it's a bit pricier than the other natural options, but lasts for months and it's a fantastic investment. For more information on green cleaning products and some non-toxic make-at-home cleaning recipes, visit www.ecosavvymoms.com or visit us on facebook.com forward slash ecosavvymoms and don't forget to make it a green day. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, which is all about pregnancy, and The Boo Group, which is all about breastfeeding. Next week, we're talking about misbehaving toddlers and what to do to get them back on track. This is Parent Savers, empowering new parents. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey mamas, don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.